How has the Western mainstream media continued to present the Israel-Gaza war through an Israel lens? Why has the international community, including the Global South, expressed so much solidarity with Palestine? Why has an Ontario physician and humanitarian with a clean public record been suspended and doxxed following a tweet disputing the October 7th Hamas attack? Are draconian, anti-democratic laws being supported in Canada, the United States and elsewhere making it a crime to promote Palestine and resistance to the brutal occupation of Israel at a time the nation is at war? This week on the Global Research News Hour, we continue to investigate the situation in Israel-Gaza and with an emphasis on the reaction to the escalation of the situation in the 75-year history of the divide. In our first half hour, Pan-African Newswire editor Abeyomi Azikiwe shares his thoughts and analysis of why much of the world is resisting the Israeli response to the Hamas October 7th attack to levels rivaling the Iraq war resistance 20 years ago. Then in our second half hour, Chris Cook of radio station CFUV's Guerrilla Radio brings us a conversation from earlier this week with physician Tarek Lobani about the silencing of his colleague Ben Thompson and other humanitarian dissenters in the current age of suppression. On this week's program, Israel's 9-11, Part 2, the war waged far away from the only democratic country in the Middle East. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of October 27th, 2023. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio stations CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We acknowledge that this program was produced on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji, Cree, Diné, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The European newcomers settled the land through fraudulent treaties and false promises in the past, and so reparations based on the principles of reconciliation is required to begin to set a proper balance in the present. Let us end the colonialism and genocide toward the first peoples of the land and embrace a respectful partnership between our peoples. Now it's time for News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. AI systems could rapidly come to outperform humans in an increasing number of tasks. If such systems are not carefully designed and deployed, they pose a range of societal scale risks. They threaten to amplify social injustice, erode social stability, and weaken our shared understanding of reality that is foundational to society. They could also enable large-scale criminal or terrorist activities, especially in the hands of a few powerful actors. AI could cement or exacerbate global inequities or facilitate automated warfare, 
customized mass manipulation and pervasive surveillance. That comes from the article, Large-Scale Risks from Upcoming Powerful AI Systems, Managing AI Risks in an Era of Rapid Progress, by Joshua Bengio, Jeffrey Hinton, Andrew Yao, and et al. Posted October 25th, originally published on Managing AI Risks. Cancer during pregnancy is rare, and before COVID-19 mRNA vaccines, approximately 1 per 1,000 pregnancies were complicated by maternal cancer. Of these, breast cancer is most common, corresponding to between 1 per 3,000 to 1 per 10,000 pregnancies, according to a 2022 Dutch study by Boer et al., COVID-19 mRNA vaccines are causing turbo cancers in young people and breast cancer is in the top three most common cancers caused by Pfizer or Moderna mRNA. Since 2021, there are far more stage 3 and stage 4 breast cancers being diagnosed in pregnant women. They are present in GoFundMe in 2020 and prior but in much smaller numbers. That comes from the article, Turbo Cancer in Pregnancy, Breast Cancer Stage 3 or 4. COVID-19 mRNA vaccination is very dangerous for pregnant women. By Dr. William Mackis, posted October 25th, originally published on COVID Intel. Quote, One must break eggs to make an omelet, I'm afraid, unquote. At this, there was a general chuckle, a chuckle that began at his lordship's side and convulsed the lot with laughter in mere seconds. After they had wiped their mirthful tears, they clapped. Lord X bowed, and the company milled about, stretching, checking their timepieces, sauntering to the large windows for a glance at the world they ruled. Lord X approached the questioner and took her aside. Whenever I feel a qualm, he cooed genially, I remind myself of the greater good. That comes from the article, The Final Challenge, a Meeting of the Enclave in the City of London, by Dr. Emmanuel Garcia, posted October 25th. On October 24th, the United States and other imperialist states, for the third time, voted against a resolution this time sponsored by the Republic of Brazil, calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Two other resolutions over the last two weeks, one sponsored by Russia and the other also by Brazil, were prevented from being adopted due to the influence of the administration of President Joe Biden. Since the beginning of the Al-Aqsa storm emanating from the Gaza Strip on October 7th, the Israeli Defense Forces have imposed a total siege on an area considered the most densely populated in the world. Many refer to Gaza as the largest open-air prison on the planet. Over 6,000 people have been killed during the siege, with thousands more injured, wounded, and traumatized. That comes from the article, United Nations Resolutions for a ceasefire in Gaza blocked by Washington and its allies by Abiyomi Azikiwe, posted October 25th. 
These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. Right now we're looking at the, uh, the ongoing uh, campaign uh, by Israel to uh, eventually uh, just let loose into Gaza with uh, possibly the greatest act of genocide since, uh, since Nakba 1.0. And uh, it's having a resonance with people around the world. And uh, I just wanted to check with uh, another frequent writer. He's for Global Research. His name is Abeyomi Kiwe. He, of course, is the editor of Pan-African Newswire, and he published extensive articles on the, the current Israel-Palestine conflict. And uh, he joins us to, to talk about the situation in more detail. Good to have you aboard, Abeyomi. Um, Thank you. There were numerous protests against Israel and in support of Palestine and Gaza, in spite of the massive Israel-centric coverage of the events, uh, I, I suppose these are the biggest demonstrations against a military, a major military action since the big ones against the the war with Iraq twenty years ago, and only after a week since the Hamas attack on the seventh. Do you think this represents? a failure of the mainstream media to contort people's uh, perceptions or, or is it maybe the arrogance of Western leaders of imperialist Western countries to think that the world would side with them because they are all, because they all did. Uh, yes. Uh, they always expect uh, public opinion to be in favor of these types of uh, military operations. But uh, in regard to the siege on Gaza, uh, almost instantaneously, uh, there were demonstrations against uh, the Israeli Defense Forces and also against the United States. Uh, strikingly enough, in Britain, uh, which uh, the origins of the Palestinian question uh, came about uh, through the Balfour Declaration of 1917 and the turning over of uh, the Palestinian mandate to the uh, state of Israel in 1948. Uh, it was really amazing to see uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, that have come out in the streets and demonstrated in two consecutive weekends. Last weekend, uh, the Metropolitan Police, London Metropolitan Police, said that it was 100,000 people that demonstrated in London itself. Uh, so we know if the police say uh, that it was 100,000, it could have been uh, many more, perhaps twice as much or three times as many. And there were also demonstrations in other cities uh, throughout the UK, uh, even in France, uh, where uh, President Emmanuel Macron uh, banned any type of Palestine uh, solidarity rallies or marches. Uh, people uh, came out last weekend in Lyon and other cities uh, to uh, demonstrate against what the IDF is doing and the support of the Western uh, governments uh, for uh, this type of siege on Gaza in the United States, uh, which uh, provides the bulk of uh, Israeli uh, financial support, military support, uh, diplomatic cover. Uh, they, of course, uh, have experienced uh, demonstrations uh, almost on a daily basis in cities like New York, uh, Boston, uh, Detroit, uh, 
all across the board. So I think this is an indication uh, that public opinion has shifted uh, against uh, what uh, the state of Israel is doing and in favor of the Palestinian people, even among Jewish Americans, uh, even though it may not be a majority of uh, Jewish Americans, a significant number are standing up and saying, not in my name, uh, they do not want to sign on to the genocide against the Palestinians that is unfolding right before our eyes. Yeah, it seems to me that there was a, a, a protest of Jewish uh, citizens themselves, Jewish uh, American citizens uh, recently, uh, basically a, a peaceful uh, sit-in uh, in Washington. And uh, that that's suggesting that it's it's not a, a simple you know, Jews versus Palestinian divide. Yes. And... Uh... That was a sit-in at the uh, Capitol uh, where over 300 people were arrested. Uh, but there have been many more demonstrations uh, led by Jewish Americans. In New York City, uh, there was a, a vigil, a sit-in outside of uh, the home of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, while he was visiting uh, the state of Israel to pledge unconditional support uh, to uh, Prime Minister uh, Bet uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. There's been... Uh, uh, one, at least one here in Detroit, and there's going to be another one today later on this afternoon outside the federal building that's organized uh, by the Jewish uh, Voice for Peace. Hmm. Are you seeing any evidence that the politicians, I mean, even right at the top, you know, the Biden and and, uh, and company, are, are they seeming to show signs of, oh, my gosh, uh, this isn't going the way we expected it to? Uh, for the majority of them, no, uh, because they are, have so much vested uh, in this unconditional uh, support uh, for the state of Israel. Uh, I know that uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, who is from this area, she's the only Palestinian American in the United States uh, Congress, along uh, with uh, Corey uh, Bush. Uh, they, of course, uh, issued a statement early on and were attacked, uh, politically attacked, uh, by uh, other forces uh, within uh, the United States uh, Congress. But they are trying to maintain that same position, and I think they will regret it uh, because uh, they're going to be targets for demonstrations and protests uh, by their own constituencies. Mm. Well, there's also that other, you know, what's increasingly thought of as that other wing of the military-industrial communications complex, and that's the media, the mainstream media. Uh, do you see any evidence there that uh, the, the media that they, you know, we're putting forward their uh, their media messaging that seems to be biased in favor of the Israeli uh, centric vision. I mean, they're showing they're saying things like, "Well, the Palestine, this number of Palestinians died," whereas the Israeli, you know, these the Pal well, Hamas killed uh, all these Israelis. So, so seeming to that sort of things to suggest an Israeli centric fo focus. Is the, the media, do you see the mainstream media making attempts to readjust their their messaging or are they just maybe doubling down on uh, their focus? No, they're not uh, shifting uh, their basic position, uh, which is uh, Israel can do no wrong, uh, that uh, the Palestinians, uh, they refer to uh, Hamas as uh, Hamas militants, uh, Hamas gunmen, uh, yet they refer to the Israeli Defense Forces as soldiers. Uh, there's also the assumption uh, that uh, the state of Israel is a legitimate entity and that uh, the Palestinians really have no 
national rights in that part of the world. No, they have not changed. And uh, this is uh, evident uh, in all of the major uh, media outlets, uh, whether it's the cable news network, uh, MSNBC, uh, the local uh, news outlets, and also the uh, British Broadcasting Corporation, uh, which has a worldwide uh, audience, has allowed uh, IDF spokespersons to come onto their airwaves and uh, refer uh, to Palestinians and their organizations as animals, as less than human, as terrorists. Uh, also, uh, it's interesting that they have allowed uh, people like uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to come on. Uh, yesterday, he was on with uh, President Macron of France, uh, saying that uh, the struggle right now that's going on in Palestine is between civilization and barbarism. So these, these, this is very dangerous uh, language that's being utilized. Uh, they're trying to uh, set the stage for even more uh, massive killings of Palestinians. And it's quite interesting that um, uh, they are bombing on a daily basis, uh, 24 hours a day around the clock. And the weapons that are being utilized, uh, many of them are US uh, manufactured weapons. And they have been sending weapons to uh, the Israeli government uh, over the last uh, two weeks, uh, two and a half weeks since this uh, crisis unfolded. So it just shows the hypocrisy of the United States media by not probing uh, into the origins and the essence of the uh, administration's uh, policy towards uh, Israel and Palestine. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, who is uh, never uh, gives press conferences, uh, he really doesn't even answer questions uh, from uh, members of the media, even the White House correspondents who are assigned uh, to cover his activity, frequently turns his back on the media and walks away. So this just goes to show the compliant nature of the corporate as well as the uh, government controlled media uh, in the United States and in other Western countries. Mm. The Global South is of particular interest, it seems to me. Uh, they, they seem to be, you know, overwhelmingly uh, backing uh, Palestine. Well, they overwhelmingly uh, were also opposed to the uh, uh, or, or not on side with the, the major uh, imperialist powers when it came to the attacks, uh, the, the, the idea of, of alienating Russia uh, in the face of the uh, Russia-Ukraine uh, war. Um, I, I'm wondering if, if you could uh, maybe uh, indicate how how can a world with who have their own unique problems be so focused on Gaza in particular? First of all, maybe you could talk about you know what you're seeing in terms of uh, you know either public demonstrations or or, or what have you that uh, that indicates uh, absolute solidar solidarity with the Palestinian people. In the region, uh, first of all, West Asia, North Africa, there have been huge demonstrations against uh, the siege of Gaza in support of the Palestinians because there are Palestinians that are being killed as well uh, at an elevated rate in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Uh, in the Kingdom of Jordan, uh, in uh, Egypt, uh, in the Kingdom of Morocco, uh, in uh, Yemen, uh, Syria, uh, all of these countries, uh, there have been huge demonstrations, the Islamic Republic of Iran, in solidarity with Palestine. In relationship to uh, neighboring Lebanon, uh, the Hezbollah uh, resistance movement, which has fought uh, two wars against uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, defeating them on two occasions, driving them out, uh, finally, the last time since 2006, 
there have been increasing military engagements between Hezbollah and uh, the Israeli Defense Forces to the extent that hundreds of thousands of Israelis have been evacuated uh, from the border uh, towns uh, on uh, the uh, right on the border with uh, the uh, uh, Lebanon. So uh, it's anticipated uh, that these uh, military uh, conflicts will increase and that the Israelis uh, will be fighting at least on two fronts. But we have to keep in mind as well that uh, the resistance forces in Iraq have also fired uh, missiles on uh, the remaining U.S. military bases there. Uh, they were uh, fired fired on uh, from Yemen, uh, thinking that uh, it was the Ansar Allah uh, resistance movement, uh, which is part of the whole axis of resistance uh, throughout uh, West Asia. In regard to uh, Gaza, um, it's interesting that it's been over two weeks and uh, the IDF has still not gone in uh, to Gaza on the ground. And uh, the fact that um, they have not gone in clearly illustrates that they have some uh, uh, concern about the level of casualties that they can encounter and what the outcome uh, of that engagement uh, would be. And also uh, this could trigger an even more intense uh, conflict uh, between Hezbollah and the uh, Israeli Defense Forces, as well as other um, anti-imperialist uh, forces uh, throughout the region, as, as, long, as well as the public opinion uh, in the Western countries. I think that um, the outcome of this conflict uh, is quite uncertain, uh, despite all the rhetoric and the bravado uh, that we hear uh, coming from uh, the White House, uh, from uh, 10 Downing Street and so forth, uh, there is a reluctance uh, I feel, uh, because the logical outcome of this uh, would have to be massive bombings uh, in uh, Lebanon, uh, perhaps in Iran, in Yemen, and also the possible deployment of hundreds of thousands of U.S. troops uh, throughout uh, West Asia. Now, we've seen this before, uh, two, decades, two decades ago, and uh, it did not turn out well uh, for the United States. Uh, even in Iraq, you cannot say definitively that the United States won the Iraq war. They haven't because now the government there uh, is not friendly to the United States and they have asked repeatedly for their remaining troops uh, to leave. Same situation with Syria uh, and also Libya, which was destroyed, uh, but they were never able to put it back together in the image of US imperialism. Afghanistan, we know clearly, they could not say that they won the war. Even after 20 years of occupation, they were forced to leave uh, over two years ago. And now in Ukraine, uh, obviously they're not winning the war in Ukraine either, with tens of thousands of Ukrainian troops that have been killed, uh, that have been wounded, uh, they're amputees, and they have not uh, been able to uh, advance in their much champion spring, summer, and fall offensives uh, in Ukraine. And also in regard to public opinion, uh, Ukraine uh, now, is the public opinion is not the same as it was a year and a half ago in the United States. Uh, many more people now are skeptical about U.S. policy in Ukraine and do not want an open-ended uh, funding of a war in Eastern Europe either. Mm -hmm. So I guess that just leaves you with a question I mean, from the U.S. standpoint. I mean, you can appear to be, we support Israel, but not to the point of wanting to send troops alongside Israel to, uh, you know, to, to back it up. I mean, they've, they've, they're really in a position of you know, trying to support them, but you you don't want things to get out of control. I mean, what's oh, I don't know. I know you said it's, it's kind of hard to project where this is going, but uh, I mean, clearly, what whatever happens, I mean, uh, 
is there any way that Biden could pull his uh, his rep win your his reputation back and in, in, in advance of the next election? Uh, well, already uh, even prior to uh, the uh, developments that began on October the seventh, eighty uh, percent of those who vote uh, Democratic in uh, national presidential elections uh, felt that he was not fit uh, to run for office again due to his age and other issues. Also, the opinion polls uh, have him um, scoring extremely low uh, in regard to overall approvals. So this war and the continuing war in Ukraine and also the problems uh, in the U.S. economy domestically, uh, we have uh, the largest outbreak of industrial action in the United States in some time. Uh, hundreds of thousands of workers that have been on strike and are continuing to go on strike throughout the United States. Uh, his approval rating is extremely low. Now, if he wants to deploy hundreds of thousands of troops again uh, in the West Asia region, which they may have to do uh, if uh, Israel suffers uh, tremendous numbers of casualties, uh, if, if they do decide to go in in a ground war against Gaza, uh, the U.S. would be facing the possibility of uh, landing troops in that region, uh, sending even more aircraft carriers uh, to uh, the Mediterranean. Uh, so it could uh, pretend much for the future of uh, the Biden administration in its attempt to be reelected uh, next year. Mm. Uh, Biomi, it's really a pleasure having you back on the show. Uh, we really look forward to hearing your uh, intelligent and articulate viewpoints and uh, uh, thank you very much, and I uh, look forward to having you again soon. Okay, thank you so much. We've been speaking to Abiyomi as a Kiwi editor of the Pan-African Newswire and a re regular contributor to Global Research. So last Saturday, October 21st, enormous rallies in support of a free Palestine and calling for an end to Israel's aggression and demanding a ceasefire to spare the lives of Gaza were expressed all over the world. We are going to air some of the audio from right here in Canada. First, we have audio from the rally from Memorial Park uh, next to the Manitoba Legislative Building in Winnipeg, and then from the lawns of the Provincial Legislature in Victoria, B.C. We will air some of that audio right now.
food and electricity is controlled by the Israeli regime, which has currently cut off all of, which is a human rights violation. All travel is strictly controlled by the regime in and out of Gaza, and all escape routes have effectively been cut off right now. On top of this, the Palestinians have a 90% incarceration rate and are regularly accused, tried, and punished for crimes without representation or proof. A majority of Palestinians currently in the Gaza Strip are also 18 years old or younger and belong to what would constitute as the youth group population. I'd like to conclude this by repeating this is not a conflict. This is colonialism and a genocide. I hope I was able to provide information clearly and that it helps you fully understand the situation a little better as well as the plight of the Palestinian people. I urge you to stand up for and support the Palestinian people, not just as Muslims, as they are not only Muslims, but as fellow human beings who do not deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth without even a chance to defend themselves. That last audio was created by Chris Cook of CFUV's Guerrilla Radio in Victoria. Uh, he will be back with a recording of the Guerrilla Radio interview he did recently with Tarek Lubani. We start that interview immediately after a brief break. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Well, Israel's stated determined erasure of Hamas and the apparent complete destruction of civil life on the Gaza Strip, it says that ambition necessitates, is destroying more than the lives of the tens of thousands of captured Palestinians living in the besieged enclave across the Western nations allied with Israel's project. Draconian anti-democratic laws are being drafted, forbidding demonstrating in support of the Palestinian people and their just resistance to the brutal occupation, while social media outlets cancel those in support and employers are pressured to fire people who attend rallies or exercise their rights to free speech online. The latter is just such a case where physician Dr. Ben Thompson was recently suspended by his employer, Ontario-based Mackenzie Richmond Hill Hospital, for, as they put it, social media posts that do not reflect our views or values as an organization. Tarek Lubani is a London, Ontario-based doctor and humanitarian. Tarek runs the GLIA project, which seeks to provide medical supplies to impoverished locations, one of which is the Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza, where Tarek has practiced. Welcome to the program, Tarek. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my great pleasure, of course. Now, can you tell me uh, and our listeners, who exactly is Dr. Ben Thompson? Dr. Ben Thompson is a humanitarian who has a long history of well over a decade of working on humanitarian causes across different places, countries like uh, Uganda, uh, obviously the Middle East and Gaza and the West Bank, where he has been making statements that uh, have resulted in this harassment campaign against him. And then recently he even started a project in 133 indigenous communities in uh, in northern Canada to ally with their medical programs and make sure that they had top-notch medical care. In short, Dr. Thompson is an exemplary human being who everybody likes and everybody thinks is brilliant, uh, which is what makes this doubly ridiculous. Well, I don't want to embarrass you, but like yourself, he's more than that, even in my view, just reading his short bio, he, he's something close to heroic uh, and a cancer survivor and organ donor to boot. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, this guy is literally like if you were to write a uh, protagonist who had nothing wrong with them, like that's him. 
And you're right, he is a cancer survivor. I was with him when he donated his kidney and he donated his kidney because he wanted to make sure that other people had a chance, what's called an altruistic donation. Every donation is valuable. However, he didn't donate it to a friend or somebody he knew. He donated it so that he could start a chain of people who could donate to each other and be valuable. So I generally try to shy away from language like heroic, but I think it's appropriate in Ben's case. Yeah, Ben, I, I'm looking at his uh, his Twitter feed. There's nothing in it after October 13th. Um, so I'm assuming then that his legal representation has told him just to not say anything. So we have effectively already is a very credible professional Canadian with uh, intimate knowledge of the area, the region, and especially now in light of the bombings of hospitals, which has been going on. And you can talk a little bit, having been in Gaza many times yourself, uh, about how those hospitals are targeted. It's not a, a controversial assertion to make. So now he's been silenced. That voice has been effectively silenced. I'm not talking to him today because he doesn't he doesn't want to break that silence for legal reasons. Now, when you say that you're not speaking for him, what can you tell us then that uh, is authoritative uh, but uh, not legally compromising about the case? Well, you're right. Ben himself is not speaking at all right now. Um, I'm not privy to what his lawyers have told him. Um, he hasn't asked me and I wouldn't, he hasn't told me and I haven't asked him. Um, when I do engage with him, it's purely as a friend to support another friend in a time of catastrophe. And so he is, you know, I think it's probably fair to say and not outside the bounds um, of my relationship with him to tell you that the man is suffering. You know, he was, he lost his job and he was uh, put out of his home because of these threats. And as such, he's suffering just like any of us would be in a similar situation. In terms of the facts as we know them, uh, well, basically he was dismissed from his position. He was suspended from his position because of, of uh, what happened. Um, in terms of his speech, he was talking about the basic human rights of Palestinians. I love Ben, Ben is fantastic. Ben is not a radical. Ben was not talking about radical things. He probably would be like uh, on the right end of your guests on this program. What he was talking about was the most milquetoast assertions. For example, he was fact-checking the debunked claims that Palestinians beheaded 40 babies. This claim, I mean, our, our friends in the Jewish community understand claims like this. They're meant to dehumanize. There are claims that, that are are said without assertion to create a pretext for dehumanization and to create a pretext for attacks. That's what those claims are about. They're not about truth. And if they were about truth, then the organizations that would have perpetrated these claims would have been relieved that they were debunked. Thank God there haven't been 50 babies who have been beheaded. Yeah. That's yeah. something that's good for all of us. None of these groups have retracted their claims. None of these groups have apologized. None of these groups have, have um, sort of expressed how happy they are that this misinformation turned out to be untrue. And that tells us that it is being used as misinformation. It probably was known or suspected to be misinformation early. And as, as a result, really, we can say that its purpose is dehumanization. Now, the, the hospital asserts that they dismissed him because of the safety risk. This is McKenzie, McKenzie Health, now where he works, yeah. 
Yeah, Mackenzie Hill. So they basically say, hey, look, you know, uh, because you said something, there were death threats. And because there are death threats, you created an unsafe work environment and you have to be suspended. Wow. Well, this, this is, is similar, similar, sorry, uh, to, to the Ontario NDP uh, uh, representative, Sarah Jama, who the things that she was saying on in, in uh, on social media elicited threats and the party says, oh, well, you're you're a th- you're a, now your presence poses a danger to your colleagues. And so you have to go uh, from threats made from from some some anonymous uh, thugs. There's clearly a template for harassment of people who are speaking about Palestinian human rights. These people are not creative. And so, yeah, you're telling me that the same template is being copied and pasted from Dr. Ben Thompson to Sarah Jama. Yeah, I believe that. And and clearly this language of safety is also because of its subjectivity, a very, very difficult one to fight against and a very easy one to weaponize. But what they've done in both of those cases, I can't speak about the Sarah Jama case because I don't know it well enough, but I can speak about the Ben Thompson case. What they're doing here is they are creating a pretext for or, or procedural pretext for removing somebody from his job because of the actions of somebody else. So you know, they're, they're victim blaming. I mean, Dr. Ben Thompson was basically put in a situation where his life was threatened and uh, where he was the victim of harassment. The response from a hospital is not to then dismiss him, to suspend him, to cut off his income source and to make sure that he had no support professionally or personally. The response of the hospital should be exactly what the Jewish General Hospital did when there were threats to their staff. There were threats to the staff of the Jewish general and the hospital responded by upping security and by making sure that all of the doctors there had all of the resources they needed so that the threats against them wouldn't translate into them feeling unsupported or, or uh, not have what, what they needed. And very appropriately, of course, all of us in the medical community rallied around that hospital to say, hey, what do you need? What, what exactly can we do to help? And, and in so doing, we created an environment in which our colleagues feel supported and in which our colleagues don't feel re-victimized by our indifference, or in this case, not even indifference, but, um, but literal like re-victimization. Yeah, and where, where this kind of precedent leads, uh, who knows? I mean, you could, uh, somebody that is determined to do so could shut down any number of uh, uh, civic infrastructure projects and operations and target people they just don't like. In this case, uh, the hospital recorded the threat that came in by telephone. I'll read it. Uh, When you said that these people aren't creative, well, then this uh, will accentuate that point. Quote, it is disgusting. You are a disgusting human being. You do not know what you're saying. And if you do not remove it, I suppose this is the post he's talking about. I advise you and the rest of your staff to stay out of your office. So for the for this threat, I don't know if there was more than one. This is the one. This is I'm reading off of, the, of an article the CBC put up. Ontario doctor suspended. His address published. He was doxxed as well after pro-Palestinian social media posts that from uh, October 20th. So basically, what we're having is is again thuggish behavior being rewarded by having the desired effect in uh, making an example of Ben Thompson, 
but also of depriving him of his um, employment. And you say that his, his residence, he, he was uh, scared enough that he he had to go into hiding. Is that what uh, you're saying, Tarek? Yeah, yeah, that is true. And I mean, it was the police who told him he had to go into hiding because they judged the threat, that particular threat against him personally to be credible. So we're, we know that there are needs here. And, you know, the, the death threat, I don't know how many death threats there are. I don't know where the CBC got the audio of that particular death threat. But what that tells you is that there's a lot of people who are upset about this. You know, people have been contacting me from inside the administration of this hospital because I published this threat, thread about it on social media, which might be where you had heard about this story as well, Chris. And what they've been, what they've been, um, sort of saying is we totally disagree. This was a egregious abuse of power. Suspensions do not come that quickly. Suspensions do not come from one person. You know, these are processes that are so well established in medicine that we all understand them. Even if you've never been suspended, which the majority of doctors haven't, even if you know, you, you've never been directly part of the process. We all know that these processes take time. We all know that the only things that result in sudden death suspensions are basically if somebody's found to have murdered somebody, somebody's found to have raped somebody, something deeply criminal. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing criminal about advocating for human rights. And I think the, the CEO keeps saying to, to people in the hospital keeps commenting. You know, the CEO is talking to a lot of mad doctors too, who are reporting back what he's saying. And what he keeps saying to them is, look, this was a safety risk. We had to do this. Uh, he, he forced my hand. How exactly did this doctor force anybody's hand into anything? Like if I talk about Palestinian human rights, am I forcing people to threaten me? I mean, it takes so much agency from from the, the harassment campaigns. You know, you talked about the goons who called in the threat. Sure, those were goons, but those goons were, were basically rockets fired by people who were far away from it, who can deny involvement, who know or should have known what their harassment campaign was going to lead to. You know, when you use inflammatory language, accusing somebody of being a Holocaust denier, you know, that's, that's language that makes it so that people People aren't necessarily thinking rationally, and it's predictable that they're going to get mad and impassioned. It's predictable that they're going to form a mob and try to lynch this person. You know, that's kind of how it works with these sorts of, of uh, harassment campaigns. Mm -hmm. So him, him saying um, this kind of stuff, it, it holds no water at all. You know, they didn't try, I, again, I don't know the exact details, but they didn't try at all to work with, with them. They didn't tell him, okay, well, listen, you know, let's talk about this. They went to literally the most grave available, quote, remedy that's available to a hospital. A hospital can't do anything worse to a doctor than suspend him or her or them, I guess. You know, they can do, they can do nothing worse to a doctor than a suspension. And they did that to him. And so I, I, I ask you and your listeners to go through a, mental or hypothetical exercise. Um, ben, the people who, who were sort of talking about him, said some vile things about Palestinians, uh, advocating uh, genocide, uh, dehumanization. You know, they deserve this, that, the other thing in terms of war crimes. People said vile things. The hospital <clears throat> has not tried to suspend any of them. Okay. Uh, if there were death threats against these people, 
Can any of us imagine an advocate for the Israeli genocide of Palestinians being suspended? I mean, let's be honest, none of us can. If we were talking about other issues, let's talk about uh, BLM, or let's talk about virtually any other salient human rights issue of our time. Can we imagine Dr. Ben Thompson being suspended for his, his views supporting those movements? No. I mean, the issue around Israel is, is special because there are concerted, organized harassment campaigns that target anybody who speaks out about Israel. And these campaigns are vitriolic and, as we can see, are illegal. They involve death threats. So that for then the hospital to turn around and say this had nothing to do with his speech, it's instantly, instantly not a credible statement. It's obvious that it's a lie. Yeah. Well, if you just tuned in, you're listening to Grill Radio. I'm speaking today with Tarek Lubani. Tarek is a London-based, uh, London, Ontario-based doctor and humanitarian. He runs the GLIA project, uh, and that project seeks to provide medical supplies to impoverished locations, uh, one of which is the Al-Shifa Hospital in <clears throat> Gaza. I want to talk about that in a second. Uh, Tarek, you asked, uh, you said you didn't know how the CBC, this article that I'm looking at, uh, by uh, Brishti Basu, Ontario doctor suspended his address published after pro-Palestinian social media posts. That's at CBC News Online, uh, October 20th is its uh, byline. Uh, And it says that the hospital itself shared that um, recording that I quoted earlier on. And when you say, uh, they also, in that article though, they show the tweet that seems to have caused uh, so much uh, rancor, at least a a severe amount among one person anyway. Uh, And I'll read that too. Uh, uh, Ben Thompson in his tweet says, quote, no babies were beheaded. There have been no confirmed reports of rapes. You repeat this nonsense out of racism. In the meantime, Palestinians are experiencing genocide and war crimes and you are silent. History will judge you very badly. I'm not sure who he was responding to in the, in that, but that elicited from one of his colleagues at the hospital, and you mentioned this, Tarek, uh, Gil Nimni, MD, says, quote, I guess he is also saying that six million didn't die at the hands of the Nazis. <laughs> and then goes on to, you know, to say further ridiculous things, you know, I mean, uh, that sort of sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, and what's happening there, Dr. Gilnimni, who by all accounts is a lovely person, has been He sounds taken... lovely. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm serious. I'm serious when I say that. I asked about him, Chris. He's a nice person. But but having said that, you know, this tells us something about the power of the propaganda. Because what you have to do in order to launch such a massive genocide against a people who who are already occupied and captive. You have to convince people like Dr. Gil Nimni that they are worth it, that they are worth the genocide. And as such, what, what's happened there is that Dr. Gil Nimni, this otherwise lovely person who I don't know much about his personal life, but probably has you know, a partner he loves and children who he adores. You know, this doctor ends up in a position where he sees fact, fact checking and truth telling and the attempt to de-escalate as instead Holocaust denialism. And that's not because Dr. Gilnimni came up with these ideas. That's because the the propaganda is so strong. Like, remember that Dr. Gilnimni 
was responding to the president of the United States. You know, and most of these people, they're not as engaged with the disinformation as you and I. And so they end up in positions where um, they are they are forced to sort of accept these higher authorities. And here, and in fact, this was in one of the statements that was made to Dr. Thompson. Somebody said, well, who am I going to trust, you or President Joe Biden? I mean, these guys don't know what happened in Iraq so much. They don't know kind of what's going on in the world around them so much. They are victims. The fact that they are perpetrators of misinformation doesn't reduce the fact that they're also victims. So I I think that we can recognize that Dr. Gil Nimni did something very wrong, and he was a perpetrator of a vile act of accusing uh, Dr. Ben Thompson of Holocaust denialism. But also that stems from him being weaponized himself by this propaganda. You know, they charged him and weaponized him. And that's what these campaigns do. And we have to keep that in mind as we're uh, approaching the, the purveyors of misinformation, that very often they're also the victims of it. Well, you're a much kinder and more understanding person than I am, uh, for sure, Tarek, because I, I I think I reflected my thinking on that in, in a short sentence, <laughs> as unkind as that might be. Um, but uh, I, I mean, we have to we have to be, especially now, we all must be uh, not so credulous to accept, especially from politicians, everything that we've heard. And there is countering um, uh, information available people that, you know, uh, you don't have to trust what the what the Pentagon tells you or, or whatever. Uh, there is other sources of information available. Just that being said, so now... Uh, the, I, I will say, Chris, just before you move on to your next point, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. You know, I I think for me, I developed this particular approach largely based on the COVID misinformation that's out there. Mm. And I transited from being like deeply um, sort of antagonistic to people who pervade the information and seeing them as perpetrators alone into this perspective of seeing them as both victims and perpetrators and trying to understand it that way. And I found it more useful in combating the misinformation because when I have that model, I start with the perspective that like, listen, you're a victim too. Let's work out why you have such tension that you need to believe that Palestinians aren't humans. There are babies being beheaded. uh, hundreds by high explosives have having all all of their parts uh, removed in in an instant. The last couple of days in Gaza have been some of the most intense aerial bombardment. Um, I, I, I haven't seen figures, but uh, how, uh, just how much uh, munitions have been dropped on the heads of people that are, <clears throat> you know, have really very nowhere to run where it's it's not uh, they're not in danger. That is continuing. I mentioned earlier uh, that um, you're attached to the Al Shifa Hospital in Gaza, Tarek. Um, have you heard? Uh, is it still standing? Yes, Al Shifa is still up. It's had its environs bombed, um, and lots of people obviously are scared that eventually Al Shifa's uh, courtyard and maybe even the main buildings will be bombed. But Al Shifa, as it stands right now, still exists. Now, the reason why we're worried about it is because it has, Al-Shifa has been bombed in the past. Um, And so it's received rockets, not direct to the emergency area, but to other places. Other hospitals have received shelling or rockets um, to the main areas. 
projects, including Indonesian Hospital not too long ago, and of course, all of these centers that we're hearing about now getting hit directly and indirectly. I mean, Wefa Hospital was literally ground into dust after being given, I think it was 24 hours to evacuate. And then the Israelis just pummeled it with artillery shells until, until there was no Wefa Hospital anymore. So these are, these are things that people know can happen, which is why people are terrified that they will happen again. And of course, what happened in Al-Ahli Hospital, um, I think put, put an exclamation mark on people's fears that the Israelis were willing to do this. Well, clearly they are willing, and it's not just uh, this year, but in past years, as you said, these these hospitals have been attacked, medics have been attacked, ambulances have been attacked, uh, and you yourself, uh, during the Great March of Return, experienced this as well, being shot by Israeli snipers while you were in your green scrubs, as I recall the story. Why people um, in the press over here and in the government would think that anybody but Israel destroyed, um, part at least partially destroyed the Al Ali Hospital with such a huge um, loss of life and so many injuries is beyond me. But it, that, that when you talk about propaganda, that is still persisting in the houses of parliament and in the state houses and in the presses here in the West where they're saying, no, no, this, this, the Israel didn't do this because I suppose when the Israeli government saw the, the global disgust uh, focused on they and their actions, they decided that they, this is one that they couldn't, uh, they couldn't admit, but in the meantime, they're still issuing <laughs> warnings to other hospitals to clear out because, or else. Yeah, I mean, obviously Israel has a history of lying and that's not news to anybody who's involved in these issues. So I think that it's it's pretty uh, evident and clear that whether or not Israel did this, Israel definitely could have done this. And unfortunately, we can't trust any of Israel's denials because they'll deny even when it's obvious that they have they have acted or when they have obviously done something, even when it's clear they have information that they did something. And if the Israelis were genuinely interested in discovering the truth here, and to me, it's pretty apparent that they're not in this case, then they would open up their records for independent investigation. They would pause for a minute and allow independent investigators to collect evidence. You know, when, when most people are falsely accused, they're very welcoming of investigations because investigations will vindicate them by and large. And in a case like this, why is it if the Palestinians are the ones who launched this, why are the Palestinians asking for independent investigations? And why are the Israelis saying no? So I think when you look at the history, the history is of multiple attacks, you know, dozens of attacks over decades. The, the record on lying, of course, including very recently with Shrina Bakla, and even with my own case, when I was shot, the Israelis denied shooting me. And, and then they started saying, well, uh, it was probably a Palestinian who shot him, even though the injury pattern was very clearly one where it came from where the wall was. Like, what was a Palestinian hiding under an Israeli to shoot me? I mean, it was on the face of it ridiculous. But that was the position the Israelis took. And then when the Canadian government asked for an independent investigation, of course, none was forthcoming. I think the, the reality here is that the purpose of these denials isn't to avoid the ultimate conclusion that Israel did it, but to jam the wheels. And I think with Al-Ahli Hospital, 
there was a real possibility, a very real possibility that world opinion was about to turn. And that's what got jammed through this confusion and obfuscation that the Israelis engaged in. Baffle gab and <laughs> blatherskite. Um, Tarek, we're out of time. Tell me before we go about the GLIA project, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, first of all. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're pronouncing it right. The GLIA project looks on the face of it like it's about 3D printing medical equipment. It's not. It's about making sure that any place that is low resource or needs medical equipment has the indigenous capacity to make its own, that they're not under the control of other parties. Now, what does that mean in Gaza? That means the Israelis. But in other parts of the world, there are also parties that are not interested in making medical healthcare accessible. For example, one of our very healthy sort of uh, pieces of work and projects is in the United States, because there also through the use of copyright and patent law, there's an attempt to suppress palace, uh, to suppress uh, medical devices so that regular people aren't able to access them. In, in the case of Palestine, obviously it's just that the Israelis literally block all medical equipment. So even if you have a million dollars, you can't buy very simple medical equipment. Um, as we're seeing right now, it's not a money problem. All the world wants to help Gaza, and yet we can't because the Israelis veto that access. So GLIA is about independence. It's about providing medical care to the poorest people and the lo lowest resource people in a way that doesn't need others to say yes. Well, I'm looking at the website. It's glia.org. That's G-L-I-A dot O-R-G. Uh, you can help them in their um, efforts. I'm looking at the people involved and they all look like, like yourself to be kind and very good hearted people, not so quick to judge as perhaps uh, radio interviewers <laughs> might be. <laughs> Thanks, uh, thanks a lot, Tarek, for coming on, and 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 do keep me updated with, uh, if you would, with uh, the progress in Ben's case, and uh, and I know you grew up in in Gaza, and you've been there, as I said many times, working uh, with the hospital there and in the field, and I know you must really be heartbroken at this moment right now, but um, we can only hope we can only hope that this is the beginning of a better day somehow, eh? I, I can only hope so, too. I mean, without the optimism, we don't have anything, at least without the hope. Well, thanks again, Tarek. Thank you so much for having me. We'll have more on this issue next week. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show airs on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been your host, Michael Welch. Thanks once again for joining us.